Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to the last hour of At Your Service this evening. Brad Young sitting in, and I, I always forget to give an email address, and I want to give that out because I always enjoy hearing from listeners. The email address of my law firm, it's byung, B-Y-O-U-N-G, at harrisdowell.com, H-A-R-R-I-S, as in Sam, D as in David, O-W-E-L-L. I always enjoy hearing from listeners, and I respond to every email. So if you want to shoot me an email, something you heard on the show, a topic you want me to cover, uh, just want to complain about the sound of my voice, doesn't matter, shoot me an email. I'll be happy to uh, respond, even to the critical ones. I mean, I especially like the critical ones, just like I especially like when folks call in to disagree with me because that's, frankly, <laughs> that's a lot of fun. Kind of like negotiating with car, uh, car dealerships to buy cars. I love doing that. Love it. And most people cringe, but uh, I, I think it's it's a lot of fun. I would actually pay to do that. Anyway, one of the things that uh, uh, that wasn't a lot of fun necessarily was last night's State of the Union address. And I always watch State of the Union addresses. Doesn't matter uh, who's the president. I watch every one. And a couple of things that jumped out at me, and if you've got some ideas and want to call in, 314-436-7900. A couple of things here. First of all, when President Biden was talking about jobs being added, he talked about he's added 12 million new jobs, the most of any president ever, 12 million new jobs. Well, according to the his own government, according to the uh, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, Biden has only added 2.7 million overall jobs. So he only exaggerated it by, what, uh, 450%. So that's not too bad for a politician. Not too bad at all. But when he talked about guns, this is one of the things that, that gets me. And I was really hoping, I was crossing my fingers that he would say, talking about gun control, that he would say, you know, you, you, when the Second Amendment was uh, ratified, you couldn't go out and buy a cannon. And two things. First of all, he may have actually remembered when the Second Amendment was initially passed in 1789. He may have actually been there. I don't know. But the fact is, you could buy a cannon in 1789. You could go out and buy a cannon in 
1889. You could go out and buy a Canon in 1929. It wasn't, I think, until the 1930s that buying a Canon was regulated in any way. So I just love it when he throws out that stat because it's just blatantly wrong is what it is. But we talked about gun control, banning assault weapons. And my my wife often tells me, Brad, you know, save it for Camel X. But one of the things that he said was, is that we should ban assault weapons. Well, I, maybe President Biden's not aware, but assault weapons are banned. You cannot buy assault weapons in this country. Assault weapon, by definition, is an automatic weapon. Automatic weapons have been banned for decades and decades. You can't own them. Now, you can modify, and some people have done that, where you modify semi-automatic weapons to fire uh, in a full auto mode, but that's illegal. It's already illegal. So we've already banned assault weapons. And the other problem that I had as we were talking about weapons is he said, that, uh, talking about the gun control ban that went into effect or the gun control laws that went into effect in 1994 and expired in 2004. He said it, 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 uh, it, it was a great success, I believe, is the term that he used. Well, what's interesting is nobody really says it's a great success. Every study that's been done, I've researched it today, every study that's been done has shown at most it was inconclusive. I mean, even these great stalwarts of conservatism like the Washington Post and the New York Times said that either there was no benefit from the gun ban or that it was inconclusive. So I'm not aware of any study that showed that that 10-year gun ban accomplished anything. Uh, It just didn't. So there's no reason to believe that it would accomplish anything now. Furthermore, uh, after that, after the 2000 or the 1994 gun ban went into effect, the Supreme Court ruled in the landmark case of Heller versus New York that people have a Second Amendment right to own weapons. And we've seen many of these state gun bans, including the one right next door to Missouri in Illinois, has been ruled unconstitutional. And there's no reason to believe that any federal act or action to try to ban so-called assault weapons And when he talks about that, he's really talking about semi-automatic rifles and semi-automatic pistols, neither of which are assault weapons. But be that as it may, even if you would pass such a ban under the current Supreme Court precedent, those would be stricken down as being unconstitutional. So not only is he wrong in what he's talking about being futile, it would also be arguably unconstitutional. And we'll find that out because I promise you, with 98.6% certainty that once that Illinois gun ban goes up to the Supreme Court, it'll be stricken down as being unconstitutional, just like the Supreme Court did to multiple laws in New York and Washington, D.C. So those are some of the problems. But I got to tell you, one of the issues that I had with the State of the Union address, not talking about Democrats, it was with Republicans. I'm sorry, but I want our legislators to operate with a sense of decorum. I really do. And so when Joe Wilson yelled out liar a couple of years ago, several years ago, uh, in in the State of the Union address, I didn't like it. I, I was outraged when Nancy Pelosi ripped up President Trump's speech while she was standing right behind him. I was outraged by that, not because she's a Democrat, 
not because it was President Trump that was speaking, but it was because you are an elected official and there's a certain amount of civility and decorum that should go along with that position. And when we had Republicans screaming last night, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, that is not professional. And I don't believe it upholds the standards and the expectations of people who hold those offices. Now, afterwards, you can go on any cable channel, (laughs) whether it's Fox News or whether it's MSNBC, depending on your political persuasion, and say anything that you want in terms of what the president said being fantastic or terrible. But in that chamber, you're representing our country, and that is not the time to boo the president, even if you disagree with him. And unfortunately, I think President Biden suckered some of those Republicans in because he specifically said things to garner that kind of a reaction. And so uh, to me, I thought that they got duped into looking foolish on television and the president looked presidential. And uh, and that was because they they fell for it. And that's unfortunate. When we come back, I'm going to talk about a similar topic. I'm going to bring in Sean Michael Lyle to talk about Right here in Missouri, the Chief Justice of the Missouri Supreme Court, Paul Wilson, gave his State of the Judiciary speech. And we're going to break that down with Sean Michael Lyle here next on The Voice of St. Louis, X. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Trusted information, live and local. From the award-winning KMOX Newsroom. your service, Brad Young, in this evening. And I wanted to bring in Sean Michael Lyle because I talked last segment about the State of the Union address, but there's something that doesn't get nearly as much attention, but the Missouri State of the Judiciary address. Uh, Sean, you, you actually you listened to, to the State of yes, the Judiciary. I watched the, the whole thing, and I did last year as well. And and how does it, the Missouri Supreme Court Chief Justice Paul Wilson? How does he how does he come across? Well, he seems like a Hollywood casting. If you were to cast the 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 gentlemanly Supreme Court Justice <laughs> of this, you know, the the Chief Justice of the State Supreme Court, you know, with the little the the white the beautiful white hair, graying white hair, and the mm-hmm. little beard, and and just seems so gentlemanly and and grandfatherly and so wise. And then I looked at his bio and I realized that I'm actually a year older than him oh, but uh, it was it was just so impressive he was such a gentleman mm-hmm. and the way he described what judges do uh, th- that it was as if as if it were um, a favor to the uh, defendant that I am giving that I'm giving you this service of giving you the opportunity to spend seven and a half years thinking about 
the yes. era of your ways. Oh, thank you. It, yeah. it, during the break, we were talking about it, and I said that kind of reminds me when my parents were spanking me and yeah. saying it was for my own good. And this is going to hurt it, me more than it'll hurt yeah, you. I yeah, I don't really think so. I don't think that's ever really true. Yeah, yeah, it isn't. But but he he does it in, in, in that way. And, in fact, he talked about what judges did, and I thought the way that he speaks and the way that he simplified it was so beautiful. Once again, talking to the um, the state legislators, the Senate and the uh, the House of Representatives, and uh, and imploring them that when they speak about you know they'll disagree with what judges say. Sure, you you can say I disagree with the judge, and we're going to try and change the law or whatever. But don't tear, try and tear down the courts. Don't you know? Don't talk about them being illegitimate. And he says that's very important. And uh, here he's talking uh, talking about exactly what it is that judges do. And I think he tells it beautifully. Nearly a million and a half times every year, courts apply the law to resolve to the facts, to resolve the dispute in front of them. The law comes from the people in the form of the state and federal constitutions, and it comes from you in the form of the laws you write and the local ordinances and administrative regulations you authorize. Judges apply this law to the facts to resolve the disputes brought to them. That's it. Lawyers like to make simple things sound complicated, but that's all we do. Figure out the facts of each dispute, who did what to whom, and apply the law to resolve it. Being a judge isn't easy, but it's real simple. I thought that was beautifully put. Um, it, it is. It's it's nice to know that I spend my day job. I'm just I'm not doing anything complicated. Right. I'm just resolving issues. Yes. That's all I'm doing. I, I thought he 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 said that very well. He also uh, getting to the idea of of um, you know especially decorum and just the the importance of the law. He talked about uh, the uh, selective enforcement. You know because we we see that um, you know. Uh, DACA, for example, mm-hmm. was uh, selective enforcement. I've decided I'm not going to uh, uh, apply the law, and right. I'm going to have an executive order saying that I'm not going to, whether you agree with the objective or not. But anyway, he he uh, gave a common example of how important it is and why we follow the law. Think about it this way. Every one of us has pulled up to a blinking red stoplight in the middle of the night with perfect visibility and not another car in sight, we still stop. Why? Because we believe so firmly in the rule of law, we don't even consciously think about it. If that belief falters, if we only follow the laws we agree with, or only when we want to, society won't be fit for any of us to live in. Everything we do depends on that public trust, and all of us have a stake in protecting and fostering it. Yeah, see, that's beautifully put. I mean, obviously, he doesn't live in St. Louis when he was no. talking about <laughs> the stoplight. Well, I, I was thinking there, Sean, as he was saying that, I thought, uh, please don't ask me under oath whether I, I fully stop at every stoplight, uh, because I'll just refuse to answer on the grounds that it might incriminate me. Yeah, but he, like I say, he, he puts it in a very simplistic way, but it is one of those things that 
when and that to me it's a little naive, you know, and I wouldn't mind saying to him that when you're in there in the court, especially a criminal case, and there's that big giant seal behind the judge and everything, sure. and, and the judge believes with all his heart that that it is respect of the law and it is you know the uh, the respect of we the people sending our representatives to craft the law. When you know perfectly well, it's the bailiff's gun yes. is the reason you're that's that everybody true. goes along with this. It really is. That's uh, true. You know, and that's none of us ever agreed for this. There's not a human being alive who ever agreed on this system. This was in, we inherited this um, mm-hmm. and we've never gone about changing it. But, you know, I, I his point, I think, is really well taken that it's only uh, it only is what it is because we all agree on it. And when we stop agreeing on the basics, that's when we could start getting into trouble. And I think we're starting to see that. We are. I, I, but also, I was just thinking there was a there was a uh, St. Louis County judge that I was in front of many times over the years. His name was Judge Kenneth Romines. And Judge Romines was a well-known cigar smoker. Mm-hmm. And so when he was a circuit court judge, he would literally sit in his courtroom right below the sign that said no smoking, and he would smoke his cigar. And <laughs> and the idea was, who's going to tell the judge you can't smoke in your own courtroom? Nobody. So he would smoke in his courtroom. Nobody ever said a word, not even the bailiff that had the gun. But when he got promoted up to the Court of Appeals, where he was only one of several judges on the Court of Appeals, yeah. he would have to go out the back door and stand on the sidewalk to smoke <laughs> his cigars because they wouldn't allow him to do that. But when he was in his own courtroom, he could do pretty much whatever he wanted to do. But speaking of smoking, uh, one of the things that Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice Paul Wilson mentioned was the the problem or the burden that this expungement of marijuana yes. convictions is really having on the court system. And that's one of the things that when you when you write a law, and he was he was talking about that to an extent, when you write a law and you, you, the representatives of the people, decide that this is how it should be, or in this particular case, it was the voters who decided that, you are dumping a huge pile on the on the uh, the clerks and the and the staff of these courts and he thanked the legislature for the raise that state workers got last year and the one that hopefully they're hoping will get this year and yeah it it is a huge burden on these people that uh you know they show up to work every day they put in their eight hours they they work hard and now all of a sudden there's this expungement which is this huge burden that is put on the staff and the staff these staffs aren't large and they can't go out and just hire more people or right. temps because they have they have budget constraints but right. I, I was on this morning uh with debbie uh with debbie monterey and uh, with carol daniel on total information am talking about how uh, and i looked this up in the history of missouri there have been seven hundred and seventy thousand convictions for marijuana laws that would fall under this expungement and the court system is supposed to go through and proactively seek out all of those cases and see whether they apply or not for an expungement. That's an enormous, monumental, Herculean task that's been thrusted onto the court system that they really don't have the the budget to handle. Yeah, and the interesting thing, too, is that uh, the proposition that the voters passed did not include uh, and there's tax that's come, coming in from that. You would think that the tax that comes in, that part of that would be set aside for the administrative purposes 
Uh, you know, for example, the, uh, the, the $5 million that Mayor Jones wants to have as the pilot program for uh, basic universal income. Sure. Well, you know, of the $5 million, $1 million goes towards administering it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it sounds like, well, they're getting their share, ha, ha, ha. Well, no, it costs money to do these things. Sure. And with, the, uh, with the, the marijuana and the taxes that are being collected, they did not include that. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is something that's like, okay, we should expunge all the records. Okay, well, then some of the tax should go towards hiring staff yes. to expunge the record. Exactly. The last thing I want to talk with you about, of course, we're talking to Sean Michael Lyle here, uh, KMOX News, is technology. Chief yes. Justice Wilson addressed the idea that Missouri is is really on, to some extent, the forefront of judiciary technology when it comes to automating the courts. Yeah, for years they've had uh, a $7 filing fee, which some people gripe about, and uh, it's up for renewal. And so he begged the uh, the legislature to renew the $7 court filing fee because that money has been going towards technology where they uh, what used to be almost impossible to get, you can now get, actually go to courthouses and, and all the documents are available in courthouses and, and certain libraries and other places. Sure. But um, and a lot of things you can do online at your own computer. But as of July, he said that any court document available anywhere in the system will be available online to the public. So everybody can access every document starting this summer. And that's because of this uh, technology and the $7 filing fee. And he says in order to keep that going, they really need to keep the $7 filing fee going. And that's truly amazing. Everything that I do with the court system now has to be done electronically. We electronically file. We get notices electronically. It's cheaper. It's faster. It's better in every way. But to have every document in our court system, we, we talk about having open courts. That's truly open courts when they're all available digitally. Yeah, he was mentioning, too, the uh, fascinating thing was that because of the pandemic, that uh, so many things that, that were forced to be um, uh, done over a video conferencing is now done routinely. And he says it's amazing how quickly you can go from, I can't imagine doing things mm-hmm. this way, to how could we possibly do it any other way? And that was one example. So to to have arraignments, uh, you know, for security purposes and everything like that, just ease for for everybody involved that you can have a court hearing where a witness is over in this county and another witness is in that state and the um, and the uh, suspect is is still in jail all going Mm -hmm. on at the same time. He says that has become so commonplace and it has made things so efficient. It really has. I, I couldn't believe that you could have efficiency and court in the same sentence. But you truly can here, and that's why I have to keep a blazer and a, and a button-down collared shirt and a tie in my office because I've, I've had to do a lot of Zoom mediations with judges that I didn't know about. And, you know, I had to change clothes right in there, but still wearing blue jeans, and it was just fine. I'm sure they're going to have an Armani suit app that you can put on your phone. <laughs> That'll put you in a nice-looking suit. I certainly hope hope we can get to that because uh, although I can't I can't afford an Armani suit, but I'm sure someone but can. But the app. But get the you app. Know, like the be, one that makes you into a cat face. Yeah, it'd be just like five bucks. You could have the app yeah, and be wearing an Armani and, suit. And it'd always change your suit and, every and, day. And make me into a, uh, a 38 regular instead of the size that I really am. In any event, Sean Michael Lyle, thank you so much for thank joining you. Us here uh, to talk about the state of the judiciary. Hey, we've got some other news to, to cover. I want to talk about our own esteemed representative, uh, Corey Bush, 
made the news today. We're going to talk about her testimony on Capitol Hill next on Answer Service. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in this evening. And, uh, you know, when phone lines are open, there's no one, no one I would rather talk to than Larry. Hey, Larry, welcome back to Camo X. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. and It's, it's been a, a while. It's, it's been over a month. It's a joy and a pleasure to hear your voice. Corey Bush is an antinomianist. <laughs> She's against the law. Yes, she is, which is a great word, by the way. It's a it's a word I learned uh, theologically. Yes. So that's anyways, right. yeah. So anyways, I want to real quick. I want to. I don't want to take up much of your time. I want to discuss the uh, the the talk by uh, Mr. Pinocchio last night from yes, the sir. pulpit. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little older than you. I'll be seventy two in March. So I go all the way back to the Kennedy assassination. So right away, we've got three words that these Democrats like to use against us Republicans, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, whatever, and Russia. So when Kennedy was killed, the first thing that was put out, it was the Russians. Mm -hmm. It was Lee Harvey Oswald went to Russia. It was all about Lee Harvey Oswald. They had Lee Harvey Oswald pegged before they even did any investigation. It was pathetic. So I would like your opinion on these catchphrases, Social Security, Medicare, and the Russians. Because you know what? As a diet-in-the-wool Republican, I get sick of the chastisement. Yes, oh, I, I do too. And and that's why I think he was intentionally goading some of the uh, members of the Freedom Caucus last night when he made that statement, because no one there, there no uh, either party wants to get rid of Social Security. Now, it needs to be fiscally responsible. And I'm all in favor of trying to make it more fiscally responsible because it's going to be broke in 10 years. But but there's no real uh, movement to do away with Social Security. Yet he threw that line out there really for the sole purpose, in my mind, of getting booze from the Freedom Caucus, which in turn makes him look presidential. I mean, I often like to say, Larry, that if you want to look skinny, you stand next to a fat person. And and that's literally what the president did last night. He allowed himself to look presidential, even when about a third of the words he said, I had no idea what those words were. Uh, and yet he looked presidential because others in the House did not. I would give him a C on his presentation and an on and an F on his on his facts. Oh, his because facts about, were about just seventy five about seventy five percent of what he calls facts were big lies. Yeah, I, I gave one instance, just one instance at the, uh, earlier in the show tonight, Larry, when I pointed out that he claimed he made he's created twenty 
no, 12 million new jobs mm-hmm. when his own Bureau of Labor Statistics puts that number closer to 2 million. So he's only exaggerating by like 450 percent. Well, at least he spared us the fact that when he when he took office, the the inflation rate when Trump left was 1.5 and now it's about eight. But he keeps yes. telling that same lie. He must think we're imbeciles. I don't understand why he keeps telling these lies over and over. Yep. And and we, we know for a fact, Larry, one of the major causes, the major drivers of inflation is increased government spending. And that's really and that's all that we've seen in the past two years is increased government spending, just running that money tree out as much as possible, giving away money. And when that happens, prices go up. It's it's a known economic factor. And yet he tries to blame it on Putin as far as the inflation goes. And really, no one believes it. So this man doesn't believe in in sovereignty at all. They're flying over our air. They're flying their stuff over our land. The borders are wide open. We got all these deaths from this from this uh, fentanyl. Why can't we do something to get this guy out of office? He's costing lives. He doesn't believe in sovereignty. Well, the best thing that I think we can do at this point, Larry, to get him out of office is to encourage him to run for reelection. Yes. You know, I, I'm. I'm going to send. Actually, I was thinking about mailing a postcard, uh, and 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 taping a dime to a postcard and mailing it to the Biden for re-election campaign. That would then force him to mail me a thank you letter, which would cost him more than the cost of my postcard and a dime. And then that way, if we did that often enough, it would drain resources. Well, I guess in theory, it would drain resources from his campaign fund. No, he's got the Chinese back in his. But that's <laughs> you got to realize where he's getting his well, money from. I know. Well, Hunter Biden's keeps selling artwork for six hundred thousand oh, dollars, and uh, apparently only the Chinese are buying it. But Larry, I'm glad that you finally called us back because I've been missing you, buddy. All right. Have a good evening. Thank it's you for your service. It's great to talk to you, sir. Uh, one of the things that happened today is that there were these hearings on Capitol Hill regarding Twitter. And I'm going to break down. Well, I'm going to I'm, I'm looking at the clock here and seeing if I've got time to play this clip. But here's what I want to talk about before we get to the clip. The hearings today truly exposed that the FBI and our government has been in a campaign to censor your speech, period. Now, most reasonable Americans. I've got <clears throat> some of my people at my law office. We talk about this all the time in terms of free speech issues. And reasonable people don't want the government controlling our speech. And yet that's exactly what the Biden <clears throat> administration was trying to do. For example, the Twitter files that we just heard, and we're going to hear more about this as these hearings unfold, reveal that the FBI was critically involved with and directing Twitter and presumably Facebook as well and other social media outlets was specifically directing them about what to say and what to squelch. And, folks, that's, that's the quintessential definition of censorship, when the government controls what can be said and what cannot be said. And as these hearings go on. We're going to hear a lot more about this, but it's interesting that our own representative here from the city of St. Louis, Corey Bush, 
she apparently is in favor, not even not just of the FBI directing social media about what they can say or can't say. Cory Bush is in favor of the government actually owning and controlling and directing all social media. You think I'm making that up? Here's what she said. These social media companies have shown themselves unfit to maintain a digital public square with almost universal usage and vast power. Their purpose is not to facilitate healthy, fact-based discourse. It is to aggressively pursue profit for their billionaire executives and shareholders. Even when they make a good decision about removing a post or a user, it is only to make a profit. This existential problem will not be solved by asking these for-profit corporations to tweak their approach around the edges. We need to re-envision what the Internet can be. Digital platforms, including social media, are here to stay, but we need to make sure that they operate for the public good and not the private interests. We need to invest in better alternatives to big tech, and we need to establish public ownership and control to ensure these platforms serve everyone fairly. Did you hear what she said? She said public ownership and control of all social media platforms. That's her words. That's her intent. That's her desire. Now, nothing scares me more than a government that controls what we say. And folks, this is not a right or a left issue. I'm not saying I want the I don't want the Biden administration controlling free speech. I'm not saying that. I don't want any administration controlling free speech. I don't want the Trump administration. I don't want the future DeSantis administration. I don't want the Biden administration controlling what you and I get to say on a daily basis. And social media is where we say it. And the the FBI was directly involved, and we've learned this from the information that's been provided by Elon Musk at Twitter. The FBI not only directed what Twitter could say and what they couldn't say, but the emails actually showed that there was there was a figure in the F, there was an FBI special assistant, a special agent rather, from San Francisco, who was in charge of asking Twitter executives to control certain speech and to squelch certain speech. And then at some point, this FBI agent actually invited an agent of the CIA, the CIA to come in and help guide what was said and what wasn't said. Now, I want you to to, to grasp on that. The CIA has no authority by law to operate within the United States. The CIA, by law, has no authority to direct, control, surveil, or engage in U.S. citizens on U.S. soil. And yet we know from the Twitter files that not only the FBI was involved with squelching free speech at Twitter, but the CIA was involved in squelching free speech. That bothers me as a citizen. That bothers me as an attorney who stands up for the First Amendment. And it bothers me as someone who is a zealous advocate of free speech because once free speech goes, then so goes freedom of thought. We have to take a break. We'll be right back. I'm going to get a little bit more information on this and deal with a couple of other stories that we have leading into the end of the hour. Thanks for sticking around with us on The Voice of St. Louis. Camo X. 
it should come as no surprise that someone that talks on the radio is in is in favor of free speech. But I'm not just in favor of free speech for me. I'm in favor of free speech for thee. And if you look at at social media as being truly the warehouse, the clearinghouse of free speech in this country today, I simply cannot understand how we could have uh, a government official, an elected official, that's actually advocating for the government to control and to actually own all of our social media. To me, that is just unfathomable that a person who's been elected to office would take that position. But what we've developed in this country now, we've seen it with cancel culture, is that that people are afraid to express their ideas. And it's no coincidence that a poll came out in Wisconsin uh, on Monday of this week found that 60 percent of students at the University of Wisconsin, actually it's 57 percent of students at the University of Wisconsin are actually afraid to share their opinions in class simply due to the intolerance on campuses today. And and this isn't the only poll that shows this. This poll within two or three percentage points matches exactly polls that are coming from other universities in this country. And, And the survey specifically, it asked students if there have been times when they wanted to express their thoughts in class but decided to remain silent. And 57% of students said yes. And 31% of students in this Wisconsin poll said that they feared that a complaint might be filed against them simply for expressing their views. Now, let that sink in for a second. Almost 40% of students in this poll said that they thought if they expressed an opinion in class, that there would be a complaint lodged against them with the university. Now, I know a lot of folks like hyperbole. I'm not a big fan of hyperbole. It's funny. But when people compare this to 1984, that's not all that much of hyperbole anymore. Where in 1984, if you expressed opinions that were contrary uh, to the status quo, you were imprisoned. And we're, we're not imprisoning people for that right now, but we are canceling them in our culture. And People feel on campus that if they simply express an opinion that the teacher disagrees with, that they might actually have a complaint lodged against them. And this is when we have the First Amendment, the very first amendment to our Constitution, protects freedom of speech. Now, I, I think that these polls, when you look at this in a you look at this problem as a whole. It's really starting on our college campuses and has moved out into our culture. But it's been going on for decades. It's been going on for decades. I I remember when I was in college, even before law school, I was in a criminal justice class. And I've told this story before on the air, I think. But I was in a criminal justice class, and I expressed an opinion that the, the, the teacher, the professor, didn't agree with. And she specifically said, Mr. Young, you understand that there are 28 other Uh, students in this class who almost all of them would disagree with you as well. And I laughed and I said, I understand that, uh, Professor, and and I would suggest that you go out and get another 28 students and I'll debate them all. 
Uh, and everybody laughed, and I ended up getting an A in that class. I didn't fail it. But I think if I would have expressed that opinion today, that I, I probably would have failed that class. And so in retrospect, I have a lot of respect for that professor for not failing me in that class because I don't think that would happen today. But when you look at this issue as a whole, it's clear that these polls, both at University of Wisconsin and elsewhere, are really an indictment on the entire teaching academy. I mean, we've converted our universities. They're supposed to be the bastions of free speech, of learning, of dealing with the marketplace of ideas where ideas clash and the better ideas rise to the forefront and the lesser ideas are defeated. We've converted our universities from that type of a system into simply echo chambers that I think overwhelmingly reflect, uh, usually almost uh, overwhelmingly reflect, liberal ideas. And I don't mind liberal ideas. I, In fact, I enjoy debating against liberal ideas. But to have those ideas squelched, to punish people for having a contrary view, that's not democracy, that's not freedom, that's totalitarianism. And if you look in China right now, China has something called a social credit system. What does that mean? Social credit system means that there are surveillance cameras throughout China that record where you go with facial recognition. It records where you go, what you do, who you see. And it monitors things that are posted online. And if you post things online that are contrary to the government's approval, then your score goes down. And when your social credit score goes down, you're suddenly prevented from buying a home. You're prevented from buying a car. You're prevented from obtaining employment in the open labor market. Now, we're not there, but can't you see the parallels between a system that punishes you in communist China objectively and a system that punishes you in the United States subjectively? Either way, you're being punished for expressing views that are outside of the mainstream. And by virtue of that in China, we understand the purpose of that type of social credit system is to shape, to mold, and to control not just what you say, but also what you think and what you believe. And if you look at this in our country as well, even though it's a subjective system, not an objective punishment, but even in a subjective punishment system, this goal is exactly the same to mold, to shape, and control not just what you say, but what you think, what you believe, and whom you support. And our founding fathers, they weren't perfect, but they weren't fools. And when the First Amendment was given the very first and prominent place in our Constitution amendments, it was put there for a reason, because our founding fathers believed in the idea that this is the greatest marketplace of ideas in the country. We don't have a king. We don't have a monarchy. We don't have a theocracy. We have a democracy where ideas rise to the top. And yet this whole system, whether it's with our government or whether it's with our universities, to control what you say and think, to me, is scary. And I hope you believe the same thing. And uh, certainly if you want to email me about this, always love feedback. Be young at Harris Dow. 
Com. Hey, stick around. Coming up next, the best of Dave Glover. I will see you next week right here on Wednesday night on At Your Service. Camo X. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.